Hello, and welcome to Hush Plus One. This week we have a short interview that we did last summer with Alex Moulton of Trollback. Alex Moulton is a New York City-based creative director, musician, and entrepreneur, and is currently chief creative officer at Trollback & Company. He's also noted in the fields of branding, rebranding, audio branding, and works across disciplines in design, music, film, art, advertising, and strategy. Take a listen. Okay, I'm here with Alex Moulton from Trollback. Um, just gave a really cool presentation on delivering less but better uh, in the other room. So um, just uh, I'd love for you to give yourself a bit of an intro, talk about your background a little bit, how sure. you got to where you're at currently. Yeah, I'd love to. It's a, I'll, I'll try and uh, abbreviate the story because it's a long one. Um, so my current role at Trollback is Chief Creative Officer. Um, it's a role I've had for about two and a half years that I came to the company previously was working at Vice, um, where I led creative for a team, uh, that launched Live Nation TV, which was a, a new music platform built by Vice for Live Nation. Uh, and previous to that, I worked at a agency called Eyeball, which was a agency that focused on motion graphics and advertising and some digital, um, that's now changed their name. They've been bought by another company called ModOp. Um, and previous to that, I owned an audio branding agency called Expansion Team for about 10 years. Expansion so, Team, really cool. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what you did at your audio branding agency. Yeah, and of course. Did you start that company yourself? I did start that company myself. Okay. Um, I started the company in 2001 at a time when I saw a lot of inauthenticity in the advertising world when it came to music sure. and sound. Um, you know, jingles were pervasive and people were making music that uh, didn't really resonate with me. And when I looked a little deeper into the process, I saw that the traditional model of making music for TV and for brands um, was mostly built around this idea of uh, a room of guys, mostly guys, um, who were expected to make music across different genres and be good at all of them. And I had a problem with that. And so what I started doing was hiring a lot of my friends who started with friends and grew out from there. Um, people who were in bands, people who were DJs, um, people who are predominantly not in the world of advertising. Um, but could bring something new and different to the work that we were doing um, and be more authentic and would have just come off tour, for example, and understood what was cool and what was sure, next. Yeah. Um, and we were doing that with genres that we felt like we could make an impact with. So a lot of hip hop and a lot of punk rock. And um, eventually it grew into even scoring sure. with, you know, with, I, with orchestras. Um, but at least we were making music that wasn't um, like, like formulaic. Like this is a pastiche of this genre that we're just going to throw up in the background here. Exactly. Um, and through that process of just making music for brands, I started to realize that there was something deeper. And I started to apply um, some of the thinking I had learned from the graphic design process uh, and applying some of that 
um, design mentality. So were you a graphic designer first? I wasn't. I was a filmmaker. I went to school for film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but I had worked, uh, uh, my first true job coming out of the film industry was working for a design shop called Eyeball. So I started at Eyeball, branched off, started a new company, eventually came back to work there. Um, but it was my exposure to design and, and how that process runs um, that actually allowed me to have a deeper understanding of the power of music and how to work with clients to make something that was more resonant and, and more emotional and um, also could be more lasting for them. And that gave way to uh, the whole world of audio branding, which was another way to work with brands to make something that would be lasting for them. I feel like that was almost in its infancy at Completely. that point. There were, once I heard that term audio branding, I kind of looked around and said, okay, who else is doing this? And there were a handful of people. And in the early 2000s, I think I met them all. I think I know now it's, it's grown into a, a, a pretty large industry um, and constantly growing. And I'm really happy to see that. At the time, though, there were very few people who were standing on our little soapboxes and saying, this is really important. We need to be paying attention to this. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, taking some of those lessons that you learned from audio branding and then moving into straight up branding. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what you're seeing as your new approach toward branding? Sure, yeah. Um, a lot of the work that I did in audio branding became something that um, I wanted to start reapplying to the world of branding at large. So while it was really exciting to work on audio and focus in on, on one sense, one yeah, sensory sure. expression. Um, Especially I, one that had been neglected as yeah. much as it was. I think I came to a place where personally I felt like, okay, there, there was much more to do. And, and as I started asking bigger questions, I realized that there was uh, something deeper and to be more impactful, we had to actually start um, applying some of those thinking uh, methodologies across all of design and start to really expand the, the idea of what design means. Um, I think a lot of people still traditionally think of design as graphic design, um, right. which is not how I define it at all. Um, so now to answer your question, what I'm really working on is trying to find a way to um, be really smart and thoughtful about the design work we do um, apply it across all the touch points that are available to us now, which are just growing and growing, um, and actually make uh, work and, and systems um, and, and kind of experiences for brands uh, and for our clients, um, some of whom are global organizations and some who are very small startups, um, to be simpler, better, more resonant, um, more lasting and more meaningful. Less of something good is better than more of something less good, right? Absolutely, right? So this is, we just came from me talking about this for an hour, so. Um, it's still very interesting, and anybody yeah. listening to this on the website did not hear your right. presentation. I'll see if I can sum it up. Um, one, of the, one of the quotes I spoke about today was uh, a quote from a very famous designer, Dieter Rams. Um, who I have a tremendous respect for and who we were lucky enough to just work on a documentary film about. Um, and he said it perhaps best, which was his way of articulating it was less but better. 
And so the the real challenge that it's we... It's like the less but better way of articulating less but better. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so <clears throat> what I've been challenging my team to do um, and myself to do is to actually put that into practice um, and to use it not only as a design filter, so looking at the work that we're creating aesthetically and, and seeing how we can make it simpler and cleaner um, and more resonant, but also strategically and working with brands to actually perhaps deliver less or create less in service of actually making um, design systems and executions that are actually um, more resonant and more clear and more consistent. So the lead into that is really um, what we see from a lot of brands and a lot of the clients that I work with um, is that they're being challenged to deliver more. So we now live in a world where we have all these channels. And so... Um, yeah, you've got to have constant growth on all the new channels. Right. And they're chasing scale and they're chasing uh, a, a lot of different growth metrics. Um, and this wasn't true 10 years ago. So before we had Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to some extent, um, most brands did not have to create content 24-7 or interact with their audiences 24-7. The brands that did were traditional media brands. So they had a TV channel and they had radio channels and they had these kind of more traditional channels. And a lot of the work that was um, part of the legacy of Trollback is working with those brands. So we still work with a lot of entertainment brands and a lot of media brands. And what we've been doing is applying some of those systems thinking for how to create a a brand that can live and breathe in the world every day um, and have the the teams be able to iterate and execute daily, apply some of those systems and thinking to other brands that now have a similar challenge. Um, And I think that as brands who didn't used to have that problem are now starting to tackle that problem, they realize this need for systems, um, but it comes through a desire for more, more, more. And so there's a little bit of um, uncertainty uh, and and friction that happens there. There's a lot of fear. um, And what we try and do is ease that process, right? And and part of the way that we have to to accomplish that is to say, um, perhaps you don't need more of all these things uh, to make your life harder and to create more with less money, but perhaps you just need more of the right things and less of everything else. More of the right things and less of everything else. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming by. And um, it's been a pleasure talking to you for just a few minutes. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, Alex. Bye.